All right, so uh, welcome. It's great to have you. Let me see if I can get us swapped over here. There we go. On the uh, camera, so for those of you, of you who are joining us online, welcome as well. Got a good, beautiful group in the room with me uh, this evening. I'm excited about that. Kind of expecting a couple of more folks, maybe that'll be here a little later. So, um, But either way, we're about to get uh, started here. So uh, let's uh, go before the Lord in prayer. And um, Father, we thank you uh, that your joy in our lives uh, is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And Father, um, I thank you that we always have a reason to be thankful. We always have a reason, Father, to have joy. And I thank you, Lord, that um, you are with us and you are for us and you are among us and you are upon us, uh, Lord, uh, this evening as we come together uh, to draw near to you and to learn from you and to hear things from your word, Father, that um, are uh, timely and uh, unique and specific, Lord, to where we are right now in our growth and development. So, Father, we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth, and He is leading us and guiding us into all truth. And we trust you and Him enough to uh, follow Him into the truth that He has prepared for us this evening. Thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention, Lord. Thank you for uh, just the hunger and the willingness. Lord, you said that if we hungered and thirsted, for righteousness that we would be filled. And I thank you, Father, tonight that as we open our hearts and mouths wide that you're going to fill them with your goodness and your love and your wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Praise God. All right. Um, so uh, let's see here what I need to do. i got to swap over the, um, the timer there. Countdown started over right. So for those of y'all here, though, nobody online saw it, and if I hadn't mentioned it, they would not have known that I made that mistake. So, but anyway, <laughs> praise God. So um, <clears throat> let's just a uh, real quick review. Um, we've been uh, looking at three questions, and I'm going to just put all three of them up on the screen right quick. And they're in a specific order uh, and a specific, uh, for a specific reason. And the three questions are, what am I, who am I, and why am I? We said, what am I uh, coincides with our origin, who am I coincides with our identity, and why am I coincides with our purpose. And we've said that you have to basically understand the answers to these three questions in a very specific order, because you'll never know your purpose until you know your identity, and you'll never understand your identity until you understand your origin. In other words, you'll never know who you are until you know what you are. And you never know why you are until you know who you are. So there is a specific order to these things. And when we talk about origin and, and this question, what am I, we see where um, the Holy Spirit inspired uh, David to ask the question, what is man? And then we saw where the same Holy Spirit in the New Testament inspired James. We looked at all this last week. We're not going to turn back those verses. To ask the question, um, what manner of man? Um, so again, there may be subtle differences between identity and origin, but those, those differences are, I think, important and significant uh, enough to, uh, to, to really hone in on. So um, our first verse, again, is a review passage. I'll put it up on the screen, Genesis 1 and 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we're going to see in other verses down the road where 
God added to this, and he said that not just to have dominion over the birds of the air and over the cattle and, and, and these sorts of things, but that we were to have uh, dominion over all the works of his hands. In other words, anything that God created, um, he has placed uh, humankind um, in a position over that. And, of course, we know that um, angels are beings that God created with his hands. And so that means, like what we were talking about last week, that um, God has uh, created us to be underneath himself uh, and then uh, angels as ministering spirits uh, sent forth to minister for, remember that key word F-O-R, not just minister to, but minister for uh, the heirs of salvation. So this verse, and we will refer back to this verse many times for different reasons throughout um, the remainder of our, our class time together. Now I'm not just talking about this evening, I'm talking about as we go on through. Um, this verse is a really important verse. I won't, I won't get into, you know, some of these more technical things, but there's, there's something called the law of first mention. And just to introduce that concept to you, and it's, and it's pretty simple, that is the first time a subject is mentioned in the Bible, um, we always need to refer back to that as a foundation or as a building block. Uh, so the first time God talks about a specific subject, He's going to include uh, things uh, in that first mention um, we need to understand and, and never lose sight of. Yes? Does that, does that rule apply even though the, the Bible is part in chronological order? Um, well, no, because again, the first mention may not necessarily be, like you said, in, in chronological order. But obviously, you know, here we are in Genesis, first time that we see where you know, God not only created man, but... You know, every, let me see if I can say it this way. Um, you know, this is silly, but, you know, when you buy like a can of Campbell's condensed soup, um, condensed means uh, it's thicker and denser and heavier, and you need to add some water to it. You need to thin it down a little bit, okay? So, when, especially when you get into this creation account, um, things are so condensed and so compacted that we need to really and truly pay attention to every single word. Um, and I think I mentioned last week, and we'll talk about it more again in the days to come, but the, for instance, the pronouns here, um, God used plural pronouns, let us make man in our image and after our likeness as opposed to let me make man in my image after my likeness. Because what this, of course, is implying is that, is that God is more than a, a singular being. Um, and, of course, what we know, and we'll talk about it more tonight, is that God is a three-yet-one being, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So when a three-yet-one being said, let's make man like us, we know that he created you and me as a three-yet-one being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. So a three-yet-one God created you as a three-yet-one being. That's what I mean by it being condensed. The law first mentioned, the Bible has much to say throughout its pages about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible has much to say throughout its pages about <coughs> your spirit, your soul, your body. Okay, um, But again, this is uh, some of the first uh, times in the Scriptures that we see uh, these things uh, referenced. So we said last week that to be created in God's image and according to God's likeness, 
means more than just to look like he looks, but it includes to function the way God functions. So God created you to look like he looks, to function like he functions, and he created you just a little bit lower than himself, just a little bit lower than Elohim. Now, another key thing that we pointed out last week, and we'll build on it, we will build on it some more tonight, is that compatibility is determined by comparability. And I know those are kind of some big words, but when we talk about something being compatible, um, we're, we're talking about things that, that work together, that, that, that go together. Like there, there's certain, like in technology, there are certain programs that are not compatible with certain operating systems. Um, so, you know, compatibility means that things work together and function together. Um, and so the more comparable um, two things are, the more compatible those two things are. And so that's why we went through, you know, starting with, you know, how living things are organized uh, and concluded that we are so much like God and, and so comparable to Him and so compatible with Him that um, we can uh, bear uh, His young, as evidenced by um, what uh, the Virgin Mary uh, did in giving birth uh, to Jesus. So the greater the comparability, the greater the compatibility. I keep going back to and referencing my, my little puppy, um, and there is a level or a measure of compatibility. Um, in, in other words, like, let me give an example of this. Pam and I are constantly on the go, and, um, and so he goes with us just about everywhere we go. Um, that dog's been to funerals. He's been, you know, I mean, he's in my office right now. Okay. Um, now my daughter has a little Yorkie as well. Okay. But, but Molly, she can't come to church because she won't stop barking. Okay. So notice now there's, there's a level of compatibility here in the sense that Colonel, that's my Yorkie's he uh, meshes well with our lifestyle. He, he, he just, if you know anything about those little dogs, they're companion dogs. They want to be with you, okay? And, and so Colonel has learned that, you know, he's got this little case, this little carrier, looks like a kind of an oversized purse. You know, the car goes in park, he jumps in it. You know, I mean, he's just, you follow what I'm saying? So as far as my lifestyle, my wife's lifestyle, and all that, uh, he, he is compatible on many levels, amen. Um, but again, um, because in the comparability, in other words, he doesn't compare to another human being. He does have intelligence. He does have emotions, all those other things. But it's, it's not the same as, as my wife or my son or my daughter or, or, or even some of you guys or you know, friends, whatever. Other people is what I'm trying to say. So compatibility is determined by comparability. The more comparable, um, the more comparable, the more comparable um, two things are, the, the greater the possibility uh, of uh, compatibility between those things, those things. So let me say it another way. The more alike two things are, the deeper the fellowship they're, they're capable of experiencing and enjoying. 
the more alike two things are, the deeper the fellowship they are capable of experiencing joy. Now, I've never quite said it this way, but I feel like the Holy Spirit prompted me to, to add this um, to my notes, okay? If we have anyone in here that, that, that works on like automobiles and things of this nature, you've probably uh, will be familiar with the expression OEM, okay? OEM. Anybody ever heard that expression, OEM? Okay. Um, and so OEM stands for original, original Equipment Manufacturer. So if it's um, made by General Motors for General Motors vehicles, this would be um, an example of um, original equipment manufacturer, as opposed to what? As opposed to aftermarket. Now, some other company is making or a General Motors car or a Ford car or what have you, okay? It's not the same as, uh, you ever seen F-O-M-O-C-O, FOMOCO, Ford Motor Company. Um, this would be um, a part that, um, that Ford made to replace a part on a vehicle that they made, okay? So when we're talking about you know, aftermarket uh, parts, um, sometimes those things, especially got folks that are way more skilled in mechanics than myself, but I know in, in um, years ago, uh, my, uh, my wife needed a throttle body for her Denali, and so we went and bought one, um, but it, it, it wouldn't work, and, and of course the codes kept saying it's throttle body, throttle body, throttle body, and so finally a gentleman who knows a lot about automobiles and stuff here in our church um, he says, you know, you at the church? And yeah, he said, I'll be there in a minute. Well, he brought me a, a throttle body made by, a, by General Motors, okay? And we put that one on the car, and it worked perfectly, all right? So notice now we're talking about comparability and compatibility. And, and so the idea is that if the people who made the car made the part, right, th this is it's, it's not only, you know, comparable uh, to the original piece or part on the car, right, because same manufacturer, right, we, we have a much higher expectation of it being compatible. Am I wasting time on this or you got it already? All right. It can't be compatible if it's not comparable. Um, exactly. So, so I'm going back to, and I, maybe I'm way overusing this example <clears throat> with my puppy, there, there, there is some level of compatibility and there is some level of comparability. He's a living thing. He breathes, he thinks, he all that, right? But but the the the, compa the comparability is not the same. Remember, we got this word from when Adam uh, there was no Eve, and there was only Adam. And the Bible says in two different places that of all the living things on the earth that God created, there were none comparable to Adam. There were none comparable to him. Okay, and now. Why do we talk about original equipment manufacturer? Because God created you comparable to Him because He wanted you to be compatible with Him. All right? That's extremely important because we're going to talk about some heavy things tonight. And, and I think, you know, maybe one of the first questions after you get over kind of the stunning effect of it is, you know, well, if God did this, then why would He do such a thing? And, and uh, ultimately, I believe He did it because of this thing called uh, compatibility. Now, let's, um, <clears throat> let's do this. Praise God. When, when God created, this may be another way of saying it, all right? So we talk about original equipment manufacturer, all right? If you look carefully at the creation account, and we're not going to take the time to read through all of it, but if you look carefully at the creation account, I'm talking about the creation account of this, of this earth as we know it right now, um, 
when God created a thing, He spoke, um, you know, so let's just say it this way. When He created the plants, He spoke to the earth. When He created the fish, He spoke to the waters. I think it's interesting that when he, he, he also spoke to the waters when He created the fish and the birds. And if you, if you notice, um, there are a lot of common body structures between fish and birds. There are actually fish, if, you, if you've ever been out in the middle of the ocean and seen fish start coming out of the ocean with wings. Um, and and it's, there's a lot of uh, water vapor in the atmosphere. Um, so when God spoke to the, to the waters and created both the fish and the birds... Then he spoke to the earth again and created the animals. Okay? But when God created man, he spoke to himself. Okay? See, he brought the fish forth from the waters. He brought the plants and the animals forth from the earth. The environment that they were designed to function in. Okay? When he created you and me, he spoke to the environment that we were created to function in. He spoke to himself. Okay. This is why there was none comparable. Now, I could show you all kinds of verses. For instance, the Bible talks about there's different kinds of flesh. The flesh of a bird, the flesh of, of an animal. And, 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 and even among animals, there's different kinds of flesh within the animal. But it's not comparable. It's not the same as human flesh because it doesn't have the same origin. Okay, all right, am I, am I getting too fast for you here? So, so God brought us forth from himself, and he intended for uh, his presence to be the environment that we thrive in. Okay, now I want you to go with me to Psalm number 8, the 8th Psalm in the book of Psalms. Okay, Psalm 8. Amen. Now, my, uh, my mother told me something many, many years ago that has served me very well. And I always thought it originated with her, and I'm not so sure that it didn't, but I've also heard other people um, since uh, my mother said this to me that have said something very similar, okay? And it goes like this, when you're learning things from the Bible, learning things from God and from the Holy Spirit, if you don't initially understand them or if it initially doesn't sound right or possible, but you're her instructions to me was to not throw it away, but to not necessarily accept it either but to put it on a shelf. Because sometimes we hear things that we're not mature enough or prepared at the point that we hear them to really process those things and benefit from those things in the way that we were, are supposed to or that, that Father God meant for us to benefit from them. Okay, like here, Here's an example. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said this. He said that he, he came to the Corinthians to tell them some things that they needed to know, but that he didn't tell them because they weren't able to, to hear and receive those things at that point. He said, now I've come back to you at a later date 
to tell you those things. And he says you're still not able because you're still more focused on the things of the flesh and you're still are more minded according to the flesh, carnally minded, than you are according to the spiritual things. So what's the point? The point is that there were things that the Apostle Paul had from the Holy Spirit to teach the, the, the people there in the church at Corinth, but they were not at a place of spiritual development yet to really receive those things and benefit uh, from, from that teaching. We see something very similar in the, in the earthly ministry of Jesus. Jesus says to the disciples, I have so many more things to tell you, but you, you can't bear them now. I like, that. I like the way the, the specific words that the, that, the, that the Holy Spirit gave Jesus to use. He said you can't bear them now. Bearing something doesn't mean that they couldn't have taken notes about it and regurgitated it back to Jesus. But when he says you couldn't bear it, he's basically saying you can't take this ball and run with it yet. Okay, But the Holy Spirit, he's going to come, and when he comes, he's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. You see, there were things that we don't find out about until, like, say, the book of Ephesians that Jesus knew when he was here on the earth. But, again, people were not ready for that understanding and for that mystery to be revealed. You still with me? Okay. So what we're about to look at, and, and every year, I guess for 18 years, every year I come to this, and I'm thinking, you know, we're already a little bit behind schedule, and this is controversial, and, and, um, and people, you know, are sometimes put off by this. And so, Lord, maybe, and it's like before I can even get through the prayer, I already know, don't you dare, okay? Because what I would be doing if I left this part of the teaching out is I would be shortchanging you in answering this question. The, 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 the question we're answering is what is man? Okay. And the first thing that we've said about man is that man is a God-class being. That was last week. I probably should have mentioned that in the review a moment ago. Man is, and when I say man, mankind, male and female created he, them, okay, that we are God-class beings. Meaning what? Meaning that there is no other class of living thing on this planet that is comparable to you and to me. We are more comparable to God than we are to the other created animals and beings on this planet. All right? So, if I was to have left this part out... Um, I would not be giving you the full answer, okay? Now, that may not mean that you're ready for this answer, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And if it offends you or if you think it's too much or if you think there's no way that, that it can make sense. There, there's a, a, a sweet dear sister who was on staff for many, many years at the foundry. She retired last year. And when she came through the foundry, and then even after she was on staff at the foundry, I forget how many times she came through this class. Um, and uh, I had no idea, but um, she was allowed, uh, I say allowed, given, you know, invited to address the entire staff um, on her final, uh, you know, staff meeting before she retired from the foundry. And, um, and as she was talking about the different experiences in her life, she actually referenced this class. Not just this class, discipleship class, part of this particular class number, okay? Um, and she said to me in front of everyone, Pastor Mark, when you first said this to me all those years ago, I thought you had lost your mind. She goes, as a matter of fact, 
I thought maybe I needed to just get away from you. She said, but I went back to my room and I got my Bible out and I looked up all those verses and I realized, you know what? He's right. And she talks about how that particular moment in her life was a turning point. It was, it was a breakthrough moment. So much so that, I don't know, 12 years later, when she has an opportunity to address me in front of her peers, in essence saying bye to the people who have been very special to her over the years, that that was the one thing more than any other thing that she, that she remembered and pointed out, which, again, was wind in my sails uh, because, again, this is somewhat of a, a, a strong teaching. All right, so Psalm number 8, are you there? Let's begin at verse number 1, Psalm 8 and 1. It says this, it says, God stands in the congregate, yes? Is it 82 or 80? What did I say? Please forgive me, 82. Thank you for helping me, yes. Psalm 8 is the psalm we find, what is man? So I must have had that on the brain. We never turned there, probably should have. Remember, a little bit lower than God, a little bit lower than angels. and Okay, that's Psalm number 8. So 82, thank you. Thank you for helping me. Psalm 82 and verse number 1, all right? God stands in the congregation of the measly. Is that what it says? No, it says he stands in the congregation of the mighty. You see, your enemy has tried your whole life to trivialize you. He's tried your whole life to make you think and believe that you're a nothing, you're a nobody, you can't do anything right, you can't make a difference, okay? So he's tried to make you think you're measly and he's mighty when the exact opposite is true. So when God comes and stands in the congregation of his people, he says, this is God speaking now, he says that he stands in the congregation of the mighty, okay? And the Bible says that he judges among the gods, okay? Now, I want to point something out to you before I go any further. When it says he judges among the gods, I want you to notice that God's there is in lowercase, lowercase g, okay? as opposed to capital G-O-D, which is God Jehovah, all right? So he stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And this is what he says. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Selah means to pause and think about what you've just heard. Because what you've just heard is, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, in, in my experience is better than my opinion, is, um, is somewhat uh, over-the-top profound, all right? He then goes on to say, verse number three, defend the poor and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand, they walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. One translation says that the foundations of the earth are out of course. Okay? Let, let me, before I go any further, let me, let me um, just pause here for a moment. When he says they do not know nor do they understand, they walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. He, he's saying that there are things that have happened 
And there are um, reasons for things being the way they are that people don't understand and they've become blinded to it. But unlike, um, you know, let's, let's say for a moment that you're walking across your room and all of a sudden the power goes out and you go from a room fully lit to a room totally dark, the tendency is to stop right where you are as opposed to continuing to plow ahead at full speed. But notice he says that despite not knowing or understanding, people continue to walk about in darkness. In other places in the Bible, God says things like this, that people have eyes to see, but they don't see. They have ears to hear, but they don't hear. In other words, seeing natural things they're seeing physical things but they are clueless to the unseen realm of the spirit they're clueless as as to the realm of the spirit where not only god and holy angels dwell but satan and fallen angels are also known as devils or demons um, dwell in that unseen realm and notice he says that all the foundations of the earth are unstable or out of course the bible says that when adam sinned that this earth was cursed because of what he did. You see, there are no tornadoes and hurricanes and, and things of that nature in heaven, nor were those things uh, in the Garden of Eden uh, before Adam and Eve sinned. But when they sinned, they dealt a blow to the very fabric of the creation itself and caused a curse, caused the foundations upon which this earth was founded to be knocked literally out of course. Now, I could, we could spend the rest of our time together talking on this subject. That's not my point. But if you read, don't do it now, but if you read later in Romans 8, you'll see where the earth that we live upon now is crud, okay? And it's longing to receive the same kind of deliverance from its curse and its um, pain and, and struggles that we've already received as children of God. That it will be one day, this earth will be brought into the same kind of liberty, free from the curse, the way the blood of Jesus has already made uh, you and me free from the curse. Okay? So that's just straight up good news. But until that day, we're in this world but we're not of it as ambassadors for the kingdom what are we doing we're wanting to see the will of god carried out on the earth as it is in heaven so what do we call for we call for the kingdom of god power from another realm authority from another realm resources from another realm wisdom from another realm the kingdom of god come kingdom be done will of god on earth as it is in heaven so this is what he means by deliver the poor and needy. He's saying that, that we shouldn't just sit back and do nothing, but that we should rise up as people of God and try to help people who are in darkness and don't understand and don't know it and don't understand that they're, all the foundations of the earth are unstable. Right Now, verse number 6 says this, God's still speaking. God's still speaking. I said, you are God's. 
and all of you are children of the Most High. That's pretty strong, isn't it? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's just straight up. That's just straight up strong word right there, right? Well, just stay with me. Praise God. <laughs> it's God speaking, right? I said you were gods. And notice now, lowercase g, who's talking now? Big case g, uppercase g, is saying that you are lowercase g, and all of you are children of the Most High. Now, I said something to you, I said something to you last week, and I'm, I'm going to repeat it, okay? My experience from doing this for, uh, for a very, very long time now, okay, is that people get really nervous around two distinct um, teachings, okay? And remember we said it's, it's when we start really looking at the Scriptures as to how much like God He made us to be. That's the first one that gets people really nervous. The second one is how much God made Jesus to be like us as a human being, all right? And, and somehow it's, it's, it's gotten, because let me tell you, first of all, the devil never wants people to understand this. He never wants you to know this. Again, one of his key strategies against you is to trivialize you, is to make you feel insignificant, is to make you feel powerless, is to make you believe that you can't do a thing to help somebody who's poor and in need, that you can't do a thing to free somebody from the hand of the wicked or from the hand of darkness. You see what I'm saying? He, he never wants you to think that you have any ability or power or authority whatsoever to make a difference in your own life, much less in the life of somebody else. So he never, he, he never wants you to know this. He never wants you to understand this. Again, you're not the measly one. You're the mighty one. Satan is the one who has been reduced to a, a shriveled up punk in the bottom of a 55-gallon drum. Remember us talking about that, right? And when the men of the earth walk past, what did he say in Isaiah 14? That we will wag our heads in disbelief and say, you mean he caused all the problems? He's the one that people were afraid of? He's the one that wouldn't let the prisoner go? Right? Okay, now, all right, so, so God said, I said you were gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But notice now, he doesn't stop there. He said, but you'll die like men, and you'll fall like one of the princes. Who's he referring to there, right? He's talking about those demonic spirits, those angelic spirits that fell You'll die like men and you'll fall like one of the princes. And then he says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Okay? Now, the question that has already been asked, is that for real? Is that literal? Or is that symbolic? Or exactly what does that mean? Now, <clears throat> there is a, another rule that we've mentioned um, and we talked about the law of first mention. Now you have this rule or law in the mouth of two or more witnesses. Okay. And, and we see that that originated with um, a man or a woman could not be convicted of a serious crime or, or a capital a crime on the testimony of one witness. There had to be two Witnesses that would corroborate, is that, is that how you say that word? You know what I'm saying? Back up one another's um, stories. But from that, we see that it was carried over into a, 
a big word like mayonnaise, a doctrinal rule. In other words, you, you could not uh, base a biblical doctrine on one witness or one verse from the Bible. You need another one to support it. Okay? So go with me now to John the 10th chapter. John, the 10th chapter. <clears throat> Amen. Can, can I, let me, let me pause here for a minute, okay? When the Lord first began uh, to, to teach me these things, um, <clears throat> I was like, Lord, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll preach and teach whatever you want me to preach and teach, Okay. Um, my life's not my own to do with as I please. I've been bought with a price, okay? I represent the one who came to set the captives free. And, um, and, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's strong truth, okay? Now, if you understand what the truth does, you understand that truth breaks chains. He said, continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth and the truth will enable you to live free. It'll, you'll walk in freedom, okay? Now, I was listening to, uh, I believe in this case it was my nephew. It may have been actually someone else, but it's many years ago, I apologize for not remembering the exact person, but I was listening to this individual tune a guitar. And if you understand how, you know, you you got the knob on the end of the guitar. The tighter you turn, what's that thing called? Turner thingy. Turner thingy, okay. Um, tuning screw. The, the, the tighter you turn the tuning screw, you can hear that string under tension. Bing, bing, bing. Well, what happens if you turn it too far? You break the string, right? You break the string. Now, Jesus came to bring us the truth that would set us free. But what we see him doing, and I think it's something that we're called to do as well, is that Jesus was constantly trying to turn up the strength of truth that he was preaching without pushing people away before he broke the chain that was keeping them from living the life that God created them to live. Do you understand what I'm saying? Remember when he's talking about eating my flesh, drinking my blood. That's strong truth. Okay, we need it here Sunday morning. What? Communion. All right? Fellowship, intimacy, covenant. So when Jesus delivers that strong truth to the crowd, it was truth strong enough to set a man or a woman free but instead, it sent a lot of them packing. They're like, no, we, we knew this man was a nut. I don't know why we ever came out here to listen to anything he's got to say. Thelma, get your purse. We're going home. Okay. So notice now, when he, when he turned up the volume, so to speak, when he's turned up the, 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 the strength of the truth in an effort to break the religious bonds and sinful bonds that were holding them, he's trying to balance, um, you know, an, enough truth to break the chain, but not so much truth that they can't, it overwhelms them and they just turn around and walk off. Are you, are you following this?
Okay. So the truth that we're talking about right now, it's about, this is about as strong as it gets. Okay. I mean, this is, this is, um, if, if we're talking about coffee now, we're talking about the, we're talking about coffee that put hair on your chest. Okay. I mean, this is, this is, this is strong stuff. Are you, are you following me? Okay. Uh, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm just trying to help you understand what we're talking about here. All right. But see, so many of the people that I've tried to teach this to over the years, their, their initial response to it is they're offended by it. There's too much. No way. Can't mean that. You know, and, and, and so in, instead of that truth being significant enough in their own individual life to really push them over the top as to understanding what they are, they, they pull back and, and, and they retreat from it. Okay. So that's why I gave you that whole speech at the beginning of all this. If this is too much for you right now, don't throw it out. Put it on the shelf. Ask the Lord about it. Okay? But notice now, I'm reading to you from the Bible. Okay? I didn't write this. I did not write this. It's kind of like when we get into our, our lessons on grace. You know, we sing a song, Amazing Grace. But I have found over the years that when the grace gets beyond what people think to be rational or reasonable, and we actually get over into the amazing part, most people back away. I've, I have said this on more than one occasion. Most folks in the body of Christ should sing rational grace, not amazing grace. Because it, and, and once it goes beyond what they think the goodness of God should be to us, they back away instead of leaning in. Okay? <laughs> but let me just tell you, he's better than you know yet. And if, and if he's yours and you're his, you're doing better than you know right now. Okay? Because he's good. I'm just telling you. Ooh, he's good. I mean, he's gooder than good. I mean, he, he's good. He's a good God. Amen. All right? So... What's happening in um, John 10 and verse 33, you've probably been already there. So let's, let's, thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm coming back. I promise we're getting there. Just look at me for a second, okay? Um, every problem that has ever occurred on planet Earth has a singular origin can all be traced back to one simple cause. Are you ready for what that cause is? Disagreement with God. When God says it's one way, and we say, no, it can't be that. See, God said, look, I've given you every tree in this garden to enjoy and experience and just have at it, and, and God of abundance, just blessed them, right? He said, you see that one tree right over there? That one's mine. Don't touch it. And the day that you touch it, you'll surely die. Okay? Think about it for a moment. If God had have initially said, every tree in this garden is yours, six months later came back and said, hey, Adam, man, I, why don't you give me one of these trees? I, I, I'd, I'd like for you to give me a, one of these trees just to be my very own tree. Adam would have probably said something like, are you kidding, God? <laughs> Every tree in here you gave me, I wouldn't have a single tree to even 
eat anything off of if you hadn't given it to me. You, you can have 50 of them. Just pick you one out, right? But see, that didn't have this rolled. That's not how it went down, right? God said, that one there's mine. Can I tell you what that tree was? That tree was the tithe. That tree was the tithe, okay? Any parent in here ever given your kids money to get you a gift? See, God gave them something so they would have something to give to Him. Okay? Told them not to touch it. But there came a day when they said, you know what, God, we know what you said, but we're going to do it our way instead of yours. They disagreed with Him. Okay? That's why, come on, some of you know what I'm fixing to say. The best advice I can ever give any human being is this. Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. See, we, you know, God says something. This is strong. I understand this. But, but God says this, all right? Now, if this is how God sees you, I'm not talking about how mom and them see you. I'm not even talking about right now how you see you. I'm certainly not talking about how religion sees you. I'm not talking about how, how traditional, uh, you know, religious thought you know, sees you. I'm talking about how your creator sees you. I'm talking about what he said about you. I'm talking about who you are to him, who you are in his eyes. See, this is the, this is the problem that we have. If you're born again, God says you're just as right before him as Jesus. But far, far, far too many of God's people, they don't agree with that. Oh, no, not me. Well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how many mistakes I've made. See, again, just quit it already and agree with God. If he says you're righteous, thank him for the gift. Do you see? And agree with him. All right. I keep, I keep holding off this part. I don't know why. I'm not, I'm not trying to hold back on you. I'm just listen to me, please. See, religion talks about us being worms and slugs, right? Such a wretch as I, right? Worms and this and that. Listen, if, if I stand before God one day and I'm going to be looked at by God as a worm, if you compare me to a worm, I guess I've done a pretty good job. But God didn't say when I stand in the congregation, I stand in the congregation of worms and the slugs. It's not what he said. Because it's not, it's not who he created you to be, and it's not how he sees you. All right. I feel better now. All right, John 10. Praise God. Let's read the verses, and I'll give you some backdrop, okay? Then uh, the Jews answered him, him being Jesus, saying, I'm sorry. The Jews answered him, saying, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man... Make yourself God. All right, so let me, let me tell you what's going on here. Jesus has been teaching and, and working miracles. And the religious establishment, you know, Jesus said to them that, that his father, remember when they were uh, uh, telling him that he couldn't be right because he was the only one saying what he said. And Jesus said, well, you know, time out. Uh, first of all, I'm right because I know who I am. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Okay, But I'm not the only one saying what I'm, what I'm saying. He says, my father makes one and I make two. Well, this infuriated them. For him to dare suggest that God was his father. Okay, Because if God was his father, 
then that would make him the son of God or a child of God or the offspring of God, which would make him God. Okay? So this was just too much for them. And so now they're ready to stone him to death. That means to stone somebody means to gather around them with stones and pommel them with stones until you beat the life out of them with rocks. Okay, so this is what they're about to do to Jesus, and Jesus is not panicking or freaking out or, or you know, going all um, ninja on them. He's just standing there talking to them because he knows that they can't take his life unless he lays it. All right, and so he he says, you know, for which good work, you know, are you going to stone me? Is it because I healed that little girl, or is it because that older woman who hadn't stood up straight in all these years? Which of the good works that I've done are you going to stone me for? And they says, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself God. Okay. Jesus answered them. Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. Okay. So what is he quoting now? He's quoting Psalm 82. He's quoting Psalm 82. In other words, he's saying, look, you're, you're about to stone me for simply saying that I am a, a God is my father. See, he, at this point, he's not even saying I'm, obviously, that's what it implies. That's what he's saying. But he's saying God is my father. So God is my father. That makes him the son of God. That makes him the son of God. That makes him God. And we're fixing to stone you to death because you've blasphemed for daring to say that you are God. And Jesus says, well, well hold on a second. Have you not read your Bible, the Bible that you've memorized? And does it not say, I said you are God's? Verse 35, if he, God, called them God's, now listen to this, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, <laughs> do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? All right, so... It's pretty strong stuff, okay? Now, what's the point? Not so you can go home tonight and call your grandmother and tell her you are a god. That's, that's not it. If you think that's what this is about, absolutely not. That's not what this is about. It's about understanding your origin. It's about understanding what God made you. He didn't make you some animal life form he made you a little bit lower than himself remember the message translation he made you so much like himself you narrowly missed being him so it goes back to compatibility come on brother come on brother all right let's go to first john chapter 4 and verse 17 okay in other words, sometimes, listen to me, I'm, I'm not trying to like be melodramatic or anything like that tonight, all right? But there, there are some things that, because of the weightiness of it, do you understand what I mean by weightiness? You know, this, you might say it this way, man, that's heavy, okay? Well, it, it is heavy. And, and, and sometimes it's more difficult and more challenging to teach heavy things, heavier things than it is to teach lighter things, Okay? So I'm kind of feeling some 
uh, relief right now, okay? Because we're getting some heavy things put out there. Now, again, if, if you think I'm a nut, just ask yourself, why is this even in the Bible? Why, what is this here for? Why, why did God see to it that this was written and recorded and preserved and now presented to you at this point and juncture in your life? All right, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Those of you who will be around for service tonight will probably be back at this verse for a different reason. But notice this verse, okay? It says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, because as He is, so are we in this world. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Because as He is. Who's He talking about? He here. He's talking about Jesus. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Let me, let, me, let, me see if I can, let me see if I can say it to you this way, okay? I'm trying to help you see how God sees you. Or let me say it another way. I'm trying to help you see how God thinks about you or what He thinks about you. And, and for the record, okay, this, maybe I can simplify it by saying it this way. He thinks very highly of you. He thinks very highly of you. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10 and 11. Okay, Hebrews 10 and 11. It says this, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. It says this, it says, For it was fitting for him, this is speaking of Jesus again, capital H on him, for it was fitting for Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. I'm sorry, I said this is referring to Jesus. It's actually referring to God the Father. So it was, refer it was fitting. I'm confusing myself now, okay? It, it, it is speaking of Jesus. It, it, was, it, was, it was fitting for Him. What this means was that he was the only one qualified to do it. He was, the, he was the only one in the unique position to be able to do for us what needed to be done for us. Okay, And the unique position that he was in is that he came to this earth as the Son of God, but he became a, he became a human being yet without sin. Tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So he was in this unique position as a human being, right? to die in our place as our substitute so that we could be made His righteousness. It says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So it was fitting for Him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For... Both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, there's a lot that's being said here. Let's talk about this word sanctify. To sanctify means to set apart. 
It means to set apart from one thing to another. So we've been set apart from this world unto God. We've been set apart uh, from sin unto righteousness. We've been set apart from confusion to understanding and wisdom. We've been set apart from darkness to the light. We've been set apart from death to life. We've been set apart from aimless wandering to uh, purpose and destiny. Again, I could on and on and on with all of these uh, things. So notice who is the one who set us apart from these things. Jesus is the one who set us apart from these things. So he is the sanctifier and you are, I am the sanctifier. So when he says for both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, okay? He's saying that we are all of one now. And that he's not ashamed to call you his brother, to call you his sister. Not ashamed at all. I don't know if, if you've ever had anybody, you know, close to you that was ashamed to say they knew you or ashamed to, you know, uh, yeah, 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 she, she, she's, my, she's my younger sister, you know. Some, sometimes family members can get a little embarrassed by some of the mistakes we've made, things that we've done or what have you. That's not Jesus. He's not ashamed. Notice, for those who are being sanctified, he's talking about our being means that it's something that's ongoing. He didn't say both he who sanctifies and those who have been sanctified. He's talking about an ongoing work in our lives. He's talking about, you know, that we're still progressing on a spectrum of sanctification. He didn't say that one day if you uh, are completely sanctified, then at that point... Uh, he'll be happy to refer to you as brother or sister. He says, no, we're all of one. You see, because we've all been born of the same seed. And we, we've all come forth from the same God. Amen. So we're all of one. And because we're all of one, even though I'm still a work in progress, and you're still a work in progress, Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother or sister, because he who began the good work in you will be faithful to see it through all the way to the finish. Let's go to John 17. Where does the time go? My goodness, already after six. Praise God. All right. So Jesus says this in John 17, 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. That they may be one as we are. Skipping over a whole bunch of wonderful stuff. Let's go down now to verse number uh, 20 in same chapter, John 17. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, if you're not familiar with John chapter 17, this is one of the most beautiful and, and strategically placed uh, chapters in all the Bible. We know that Jesus was a man of much prayer. We know that he would sometimes pray all night, minister all day, then go pray all night. We know that he was constantly in prayer. But what John 17 does for us is John 17 actually records for us one of Jesus's times of prayer, one of his prayer sessions. And it's also unique in the sense that Jesus knows that he is very, very close to being betrayed and, and being tortured and being crucified. And so he, he is praying to his father. And we see that in the first part of this prayer, he prays for himself. Okay. 
And, and, and I'm, so sometimes people ask me, Pastor Mark, is it okay for me to pray for myself? Jesus did, okay? Jesus did, sure, pray for yourself. But Jesus didn't just pray for himself. After he prayed for himself, he prayed for those who were closest to him. And, and not just closest to him as far as, as, as his affection for them, but closest to him as far as their importance to uh, you know, his purpose and destiny in the earth. This would have been the inner circle of his 12 disciples. Then after he prayed for that inner circle, he then prayed for you and me. So how do you know that, Pastor Mark? Because it says, he says to God the Father, I do not pray for these alone, meaning the inner circle, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You believe tonight because they preached to someone who heard and believed and then preached to someone who heard and believed and then preached, to someone who heard and believed and then preached, to someone who heard and believed and then preached, to someone who heard and believed and then preached, till eventually the person who told you about Jesus. So you believe in Him, you believe on Him, you believe in His name because of their word. Now I can't prove this, but I just know this by the Spirit of God, okay? That in heaven, in the, in the same way that we see all those so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and you have that, that physical family tree, that physical uh, lineage, I believe, in herit I believe in heaven that your spiritual heritage is there. In other words, you would be able to trace back whoever it was that... Then whoever led that person to the Lord, 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 all the way back to, to, to that original group and then to Jesus. Amen. All right. Okay. Now, he keeps going here. What does he pray? He says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us. Okay, there's your compatibility, right? That they also may be one in us. Let me, let me, let me just stop right, right here. This is, if, if we use Selah in the, in the New Testament, this would be a really good spot to put a Selah. Pause and think about it, okay? Jesus was just talking to the Father about Himself and the Father and you, and He used the word us. Selah. Think about that for a minute. Did I not say that clear enough, or is He just pondering it? Okay. He's talking about, all right, like, let, let me, so, um, <clears throat> there are people who, attend this church but when they talk about it they don't they don't include themselves in the conversation they call it my church pastor mark's church as opposed to our church right you see what i'm saying your church y'all's church the church our church. There are people who give faithfully to this church, but they talk about what, what the church is doing. And, and, and they say it in the sense of not that they're a part of it. 
I sometimes, if the Lord leads me and I feel like it's not going to offend them, I say, no, no, it's not, it's not what the church is doing. It's what we, it's what we are doing. You are a part of this. You are included in this. Okay? So when Jesus is talking to his father and you're the subject of the conversation and he's talking about oneness and that we would be one the same way that Jesus and the Father are one, and then that we would be one with Jesus and the Father the way Jesus and the Father are one, them in me, they're in me, and I'm in you, they're one with me, I'm one with you, which makes them one with you. And then he throws down us. When the Trinity speaks about you, they don't talk about you as an outsider because they don't see you as an outsider. <laughs> Become one with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, positively, He's in us. Okay? All right? So, let's go back to it. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I'm in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you've sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me." I said you're God's. And when I stand in the congregation, I stand in the congregation of the mighty. God is saying, when I stand among you, I'm standing among people that I love with the same love I love Jesus with. When I stand among you, I stand among people that have been given the same glory that I gave to my son. Because you are sons, you are daughters. We're on the inside, brother. We're on the inside. You know, it lands on, it, it lands on different people's hearts different ways. Um, you know, some folks struggle with the concept of God as Father because they didn't have the best example of an earthly father. Um, and sometimes folks struggle with the concept of the family of God because their family was, you know, dysfunctional or not close or what have you, you know. Um, and so... You know, click. I'm not saying it's the one for you, but for some folks, you know, it's like, okay, this. I'm a part of the the in crowd or what have you. But it's 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 more than that. I mean, we've been born of his seed. We you know, his blood flows in our vein. We've become one with his spirit. Um, we we are um, in him, and he is in us. Um, we we're we're his uh, offspring. We're we're his uh, children. Um, in in not figuratively, literally. We, we are uh, sons and daughters of God. Um, comparable by His design because He desired compatible. Okay. Now, here's a question that I've asked before. And I'll ask it, Yes. Fellowship, sister. You got it. 
Absolutely. And, and, and he, remember, he's the same. He doesn't change yesterday, day, forever. The same God who desired fellowship with man in the garden is the same God who desires fellowship with you and with me tonight. Amen. Family. Absolutely. So the Bible says that you are the body of Christ and a member individually. So Father God sees you as an individual, and then He also sees you as one connected to the whole and your place and part in it. So it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So here's, here's a question, all right? And I think it's pretty obvious the answer, but we'll just go through it anyway. All right. Which came first, man or the purpose for man? You're exactly right. It's the purpose for man. Um, 2 Timothy 1.9. Okay. We're going somewhere with this. Now, we're still building on the same thought. Man's a God class B. All right. 2 Timothy 1.9, it says this. God who has saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You see, before you ever existed in this earth's atmosphere, Father God already knew you. Think about that now. He already had a specific purpose and plan for your life. And He created you and uniquely gifted you and talented you, graced you, amen, in light of the purpose that He had already decided upon for you in Christ Jesus before time began. Okay? So He's saying that you were given purpose um, before time began. Notice also, see, purpose and grace. Let me, let's just take a brief minute on grace. We often hear grace, and it's correct, we often hear grace as unearned or undeserved favor. It's when God's good to you and you haven't done anything to deserve. That's grace, okay? And, and certainly that is, um, you know, a, a key element of, um, of uh, the definition for grace. But the simplest understanding of grace is gift, is gift, okay? So when we say God graced you, we're saying that He He gifted you, He graced you. So when it says you were given purpose and grace in Christ before time began, we see that the purpose for your life and the gifts necessary to fulfill that purpose were given to you in Christ Jesus before time began. So there's a reason some folks in here really love numbers and math, and, and some in here really love art, and some in here are great at, at you know, um, other areas of, of, of gifting and, and ability and talent and what have you, okay? Again, all of this is, is, is strategic um, from the Lord Himself. So you were given... A purpose before time began and then created in light of that purpose. Now, why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because the opposite would be that Father God created us and then tried to find a purpose for us. 
it, it would be like, okay, I, you know, I've created them. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with them yet, but aren't they cute? You know, I mean, it's like, wow, you know, I just can't get enough of these human beings. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I don't know what in the world we're going to do with them, Jesus. You're going to have to help me come up with something, keep them busy. But no, no, see, that, that's not it. He, he understood the purpose that you and I were to fulfill, okay? And, and, and let's go back to what Jennifer mentioned a moment ago, both as a part of the whole, okay, but also as an individual that God knows. That's why we all have different thumbprints. He made you unique, specific, and individual. Yes? I think that's, you know, certainly a, a, a key factor in it. Okay. Um, okay. Choice, right? Because if you're forced to love, then that's not love, right? If, if somebody's made to be your friend, then that, right? Okay. So how silly would it have been for a father to create us in such a way that made fulfilling his purpose for us impossible. In other words, it's like, okay, I, it's, it's like I created them to have conversation with me, but man, I forgot to create them with the ability to speak. No, no, see, God already had this purpose for us in mind and created us in light of that purpose, created us all in such a way as to be able to fulfill that purpose. So that means what you are and who you are serve to support and make possible why you are. Remember now, see, we, if, you, if you've noticed, we've kind of went from talking about what we are to, to who and why. We're talking about purpose now, okay? Um, not because we're necessarily digging, you know, just skipping over the, all these important things after all that buildup. But I'm, I'm trying to help you understand the relationship between what and who and why. God already knew who and why. So this is why what is so important. Okay, this, In other words, what you are and who you are serve to support and make possible why you are. Stay with me now. This is one of the most important things you'll hear me say to you tonight. Okay. Your number one purpose and highest calling in life is fellowship with God. All other purposes, plural, are not only secondary to this purpose, they are dependent upon it. Okay? Number one purpose. You may be called to sing for Him. You may be called to teach for Him. You may be called to lead for Him. You may be called to preach for Him. You may be called to prophesy for Him. You may be called to... And there's all these different other purposes that, that, that men and women in this room and listening to me right now have from God, things that you're called to do, things that you are uniquely gifted and talented to do in the body of Christ, okay? All of those things are beautiful. All of those things are grace, uh, graces, graced, Gifts, amen, from God to you, okay? But notice now, not only is fellowship your highest purpose and highest calling in life, all other purposes are not only secondary to it, they're dependent upon it. What does that mean? 
It means the more you fellowship with Him, the more effective you will be in singing for Him. The more you fellowship with Him, the more effective you will be in leading other people to Him. The more you fellowship with Him, the more effective you will be in whatever it is that you're called by God to do for Him. Now, when, when we started these classes, and I know a lot of you weren't here when we started, but when we started these classes, we made this statement. We said that these classes are taught from the perspective of, of, of ministry, okay? If, if all you benefit from in this class is you, know, you personally and you never do anything with it to help anybody else, then I'm not, I'm not calling it a success. I don't want to offend you. I want you to be helped. I want you to be blessed and benefit from all this. But ultimately, these classes are taught from the perspective of, of you being able to fulfill the purpose and the ministry and the calling um, that God has for your life as, as, as an individual member of the body of Christ. Okay? It's a sweet spot of life, as you hear me say over and over again. But remember, um, Paul said, I have finished my course and the ministry. He said his course being what? His daily walk with God and ministry being an extension of his walk with God. If you want to be effective in what you do for God, walk with God. Walk closely with Him. The closer you walk with Him, the more effective you will be in the things that you do for Him. Now, I'm not, I, I don't mean this because, you know, the Apostle Paul talked about people who actually preached the gospel, not because they were necessarily preachers or because they wanted folks to get saved, but, but, but preaching the gospel caused Paul problems. It stirred people up against Paul. And so there were people who actually preached the gospel with a completely wrong motive, and yet Paul said, you know what, people are still hearing because the power's in the message, people are still hearing the message and getting saved. So even if they're doing it for the wrong reasons, he said, I'm glad that the gospel's being preached. Okay? So don't misunderstand me when I say this, but there are a lot of folks who've been chewed up and spit out by ministers who are trying to do what they're called to do without having fellowshiped with Father God to receive the anointing and, 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 the, and the fresh air from heaven to be able to do it in a way that, that blesses and helps people. There are a lot of folks that wear, wear really nice suits and stand behind really fancy pulpits all over this world who are trying to do, and they don't even know him. Okay? So I'm not saying that the different areas of, of gifting and calling and ministry and service, all those things, extremely, extremely important. But they're not just secondary to your highest and most important purpose, fellowship with God. They're dependent upon it. And God created it and set it up as such. So your purpose coincides with your why, but it's supported by and dependent upon your who and your what. If God created you any less than in His own image and likeness, His purpose for fellowship, communion, and even oneness would not be possible. We would not have the comparability, therefore we would not have the compatibility. The less comparability you have, the less compatibility is possible. So when God created you just a little bit lower than himself, he did it strategically because he wanted you to have the most intimate, personal fellowship with him that, that is possible. As a matter of fact, I don't have the verse right in front of me, but he says in 1 Corinthians that you have been called into the same fellowship with God the Father that Jesus has um, available to him, uh, the same fellowship uh, with God as his Son. 
Growing up in my home, my children had friends that remain friends and remain close members of our family to this day. Um, beautiful young people who love God, serving God. Um, went on vacations with us. You know, still do things with us as, as a family and what have you, you know. And I, and I, and I love them folks. And I, and I had fellowship with those young people. Okay? But they didn't have the same fellowship with me as my children. You understand know what I'm saying? I, every occasion I had, it's a long story, but I had an experience when I was, when I was young. I, I went uh, to spend the night with a, a friend at school, and they went to this really expensive restaurant. And I just had a few dollars in my pocket. And, um, and they bought their kids food and didn't buy me in. I mean, I didn't know what to do. I and mean, this was like a new experience for me because my parents always, you know, whatever. We didn't go out a lot, but if we went to McDonald's and I had somebody with me, they bought them a hamburger, you know. And um, so I purposed then. I said, man, one day this will never happen. And, um, and so I, I bought them hamburgers and whatever, you know, cheesecake for whatever. Cheesecake factory, okay. But I didn't pay for their college. I paid for my children's college. So why is it? It's because they didn't have the same fellowship with me as my children. They had fellowship with me, but not the same. You have opportunity to have and enjoy and experience the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus himself. That's why he says you're seated together with him in heavenly places and that you can come boldly to the throne of grace. You hear religious people talking about we're going to storm the gates of heaven. Not storm the gates of heaven. We're going to storm the gates of heaven. We're going to bombard the gates of heaven. You know, I'm like... What? Why? You you got a key to that kingdom, right? You walk on in there. Amen. Yes, sir. Uh, please forgive me if it's a stupid question, but like, like I know, like if, if me and Blake are gonna fellowship, I know we're we gonna sit down, we're gonna eat, we're gonna talk and all that. Could you just please tell us what it looks like to fellowship with God in a way? I got a tangible way that yeah, we, we know what it looks like on on, on a daily. In, include him in every detail and aspect of your life. Don't leave him out of anything. Talk to him about everything. Be aware of his presence with you everywhere you go. Enjoy it. Talk to him. Um, experience him. And I know this may sound odd, um, but you know, literally in in the book of Revelation where it says that you know Jesus is at the door knocking, we've made that out to be a salvation knock. Okay, and I don't, I don't have a problem. I mean, certainly God can knock on the, the heart's door of someone who doesn't know him. But the context of the book of Revelation is he's knocking on the door of the church. Okay, and he's saying to those who are born again in the church, Ecclesia, called out ones, okay. He's saying, hey, will anybody in there answer the door and go grab a pizza with me. Now that's the New Windsor International Translation. But he literally said, <laughs> the literal translation is, will anybody in there like to come out here with me and let's go sup together? We get sup and supper from that. In other words, literally, go have a meal together. See, when we, when we sit down as a family and, and pray over our food, it's not just some religious ritual. We're, we're not just thanking God for the food. We're thanking Him for being with us and, and inviting Him into that experience with us as a, as a family and, and, and being aware of, of His presence. 
had a Sunday school teacher when I was very young. She introduced me to this expression. She said, practice God's presence. And what she meant by practice God's presence is when you're driving down the road, talk to him like he's sitting in the seat beside you because he is with you, right? But sometimes we think we, we have this idea that God is a million miles away and, and hard to talk to, hard to reach, hard to access when he's, he's with you, uh, waiting for you to give him place in your life. And what I've learned is he's not going to force himself. He could, I mean, he it's his church. He could knock that door down if he wanted to. That's not what he's interested in. He's wanting to know if anybody in there wants to get over their religious selves and their, per- their programs and their religious traditions and their uh, whatever they're calling it that they're doing in there and, and actually include him in, in, into something and, and experience you know, fellowship with God. So I know like when you said... If I'm going to go fellowship with, with my brother, we're going to go have a meal together. We're going to talk. It's the, it's the same. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just. <laughs> yes, sir. Please, Donald. I know you know a lot about this subject, brother. Can I give him something practical here? Yes, sir. Say it loud. Yes, sir. The, the, the reality of fellowship is going to be revealed in your life. Thank you, brother. Because they're going to be good things going to be rolling to you on a consistent basis. Yep. Amen. Amen. Do everything you do without grumbling that complaint. And remember that word despise doesn't mean what we think it means. To despise something doesn't mean to hate it. It means to not properly value it or esteem it. So when, when the Lord speaks something to you, appreciate it, respect it, honor it, value it, hold it in high regard, hold it in high esteem, you know. 
Um, so when he speaks to you, that's, that's why I tell folks, you know, sometimes people come up to me after a class, whatever, and they say, you know, Pastor Mark, the Lord said this to me, and it's spot on. I'm, I, it bears witness to my spirit. You know, I'm asking, did you write that down? Said, well, no, go now and write it down. That's, there was, you see what I'm saying? If the Lord's going to speak something to you, you know, um, I used to, now I do it with my phone, I dictate it in my phone. I used to keep pen and paper by my bedside. You know, because if, he, if he's going to speak something to me, I'm, it's going to, I'm going to value it enough to write it down and to talk to him about it and ask him what he means. And what, you see what I'm saying? So that's the other part about, you know, holding on to those things and, and not lightly esteeming them, but highly valuing and highly uh, esteeming those things, recognizing their importance. And, and remember, always praying, that's just, I mean, obviously there's formal prayer where, you know, you make a petition and all these other things. But I mean, that's why the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, I, I, think, I think the only way to truly pray without ceasing is to include praying in an unknown tongue in that. Um, you know, you, you can, uh, man, I can, I can be working on stuff just praying in the Spirit under my breath. And that's, when you pray in an unknown tongue, your spirit is <coughs> fellowshipping with God. I mean, you, you're, you're, I mean, <laughs> Amen. I mean, we could just go on with that. But thank you for that, uh, Brother Donald. Um, that's a great question, George. Great question. And, 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 and it's just practicing it. I mean, I, I know that sounds odd, practicing. But practice doesn't just mean, you know, trying to get better. Practicing something, you know, means doing it, putting it into practice, you know, uh, on purpose, deliberate, intentional act. Amen. Yes. When Gail brought me in here, that's what she said. Like every morning at 5 o'clock, she wakes up at 9 and put our feet on the floor and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah. Start doing that every morning. And start your day off with that. Setting your mind. Setting your thoughts. Never, ever, ever let him, let him slip out of your mind, out of your thoughts. You know, be aware of him. Give him room. Give him place. Yeah, absolutely. 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 <sighs> 634. Where's the time go? All right. Um, let me let me see if I can say it this way, okay? Um, what what we're talking about now, I, I said this some of this effect a moment ago. I said I didn't write this. I, I didn't write Psalm 82. I didn't write you know John 17. I didn't, I didn't write John 10. You know, this, this, is, this is God's word to us. It's as much his word as John 3.16. It's as much his word as anything that's in his word. Okay? But I, I want to just remind you now that I'm a messenger, but this 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 is God's message to you, okay? I'm I'm just delivering to you what He has said, and it wasn't like and I, and I'll use something similar to this on different points as well in the future, but it's not like I said to Him, God, you either create me a little bit lower than yourself or don't create me at all. I I didn't. I didn't decide this for myself. I didn't demand this for myself. If, 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 in other words, if it was up to me, you know what I'm saying, uh, to negotiate my origin and existence and what I am, I would have never asked for this or been bold enough to say, um, make me in such a way as to be one with you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm not, that, I, that, would not, that wouldn't be what I chose or decided, but that's the point I'm trying to get you to see. I didn't choose this. I didn't decide this. This is the heart of God. This is the desire of God. This is the, the longing in His heart uh, for you. 
uh, and for me. And, and notice how many of his children are, are saying no to this. How many of his children are refusing to accept this? How many of his children are, 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 are ignoring this altogether, rejecting this altogether? Um, when th- this, this isn't, you know, if you, the, the Bible you know, says that you know, the clay has no right to say to the potter, why have you made me the way you've made me? And so many times when we hear this, it's, it's used as some rebuke. It's, it's used uh, even out of context as some justification, you know, where people are saying God made them some way that God never made them. Okay. Um, but, but what he's really saying here is God is the one who decided um, what you would be, who you would be, and why you would be it. And, and he, so go back now to Psalm number eight. You don't have to turn there. Just remember what he's standing there looking at this, at this, the, you know, as huge as the universe, as far as he can see, the stars, the planet, the size of the earth. I mean, all these other things. And he's like, man, given the scope and magnitude of who you are to create something like this, what am I? What is it about me? That you've set your heart on me, that I occupy your thoughts, that you're mindful of me, that you desire fellowship with me, that you want me to know you like you know me. See, th- this is the context of this. You know, not, um, well, it was, you know, just, just dust in the wind. No, that, that's not what he's saying here. So we've said this in so many different ways, but we'll say it just straightforward. Father God chose to create you compa- comparable to Him so you would be compatible with Him, right? You were created by God. So here, here now we're talking about purpose. I'm not, I'm not, the only reason I'm mentioning purpose here is because I'm trying to help you see how it relates to um, what you are, origin, okay? You were created by God to bear His image in this created realm. If we get to it tonight, and I think we will in the sermon, Ephesians 5.1 says to, for you to me to be imitators of God as dear children. Be imitators of God as dear children. How are you going to imitate God if God you know, creates you with um, you know, a cyclops or something? You know what I'm saying? He created you to bear His image in this created realm. He created you to rule and reign. Over all the works of his hands. Now, I'm out of time, but let me just real quick, and we'll pick it up. We'll begin here next week, all right? I'm gonna give these to you fast if we can come back to them, okay? You were created by God to know what he knows, to see what he sees, and to feel what he feels. You were created by God to have close, intimate fellowship and union with him. You were created to love Him and to be loved by Him. You were created to have conversations with Him. You were created to share your life with Him and His with you. You were created by God to be one with Him. Okay? Are you seeing this? This was what God desired. This was, this was what God wanted each one of us to fulfill in way of purpose. So let's go back to see now why I'm asking the question. Which came first? Man or man's purpose. God didn't create you and then try to design and figure out a purpose for you. 
He already knew exactly what purpose he wanted you to feel. Generally speaking, as far as fellowship with him is concerned, and then specifically speaking, as far as your individual purposes and destiny is concerned in Father's kingdom. He gave you then purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. How silly would it have been for God to create you with a desire to have conversation with you, but not create you with the capacity to be able to speak to him or hear him? He created you with the ability to hear him and speak to him and be spoken to by him because he specifically wanted to have conversation with you. Now, God is a relational God. Okay? A relational God. Let me just put this on the screen right quick. Man, I'm trying to stop. It's hard to stop. God is a relational God. The Holy Trinity, we'll talk more about the Holy Trinity next week. The Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is an eternal community. And you were created by God in the image and likeness of God to be a part of, to be brought into this holy community. Amen. Amen. That's why you're not a pet. I didn't hit that last one. I'm sorry. You were created by God in the image and likeness of God to be brought into, to be a part of this holy community. God didn't create you to be a fan. He didn't create you to be a pet. He didn't create you to be some toy, some plaything. He didn't create you as some cosmic experience. He had a very specific and well-defined purpose for this new being that God created to be a little bit lower than himself in his image and in his likeness. You are the object of God's affection. God is love. And what do we know about love? Love likes to express itself. Amen? Love likes to express love. God created you to love him and to be loved by him. Remember when we said that, you know, we, we said that, the, that Lucifer fell and we have no record of God even asking him if he wanted to work it out? Adam fell and, and God has been pursuing us ever since. Sent his son to die as your substitute just to give you the option, should you choose to take it, to come back to him. Wow. Brother um, John Eldridge, um, who wrote um, Wild at Heart, he's written a lot of amazing books, and he has written uh, a book, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but basically what he says is all of these Hollywood themes are basically hijacking the, the God story, the God, you know, his love for us, his desire for us, his pursuit of us, our rebellion against him. Him continuing to be patient. You know, it's just, yeah, all of it. Hero story, Cinderella story, all of these things, you know. Amen. All right, can I pray for you? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the things that you're revealing to us. Father, we've covered some heavier, weightier things uh, this evening, Father, not to be intentionally controversial, not to, um, you know, in, inflame 
uh, uh, people's uh, anger or or uh, you know ire <laughs> against you or against me or against your word, Father. But but Lord, we we need to hear these things. We need to know these things. There's a reason why you included them in your word, and it would be um, uh, wrong for me. It would be um, uh, I would not be performing my duty as as your servant um, if I left these things off the table um, when talking about. And answering this question, what are we? And so, Father, um, I've done to the best of my ability what I feel like you've sent me here tonight to do. And I'm trusting, Father, that um, your Holy Spirit is helping these truths um, land on the hearts and in the hearts and the places, Lord God, um, that you would have for them to land tonight. And that they would bring forth fruit in our lives, the fruit that you intended. Lord, not, not the fruit that religion or, or argumentative people may intend. The fruit, Lord, that you sent these specific word seeds into the earth and into our hearts to produce. Father, we call that fruit forth from this name. Devil, you'll not steal this word. You will not steal this word. This word's been received in good soil. And it's going to produce the good harvest, Father, that you intended for it to produce in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And in your love, thank you for being here tonight. Good things coming. We'll see you next week, if not before.